I'm Don Letts and welcome to Joining the Dots. Today I sat down with drummer, vocalist and all-round musical producer Georgia, who also happens to be my next-door neighbour. Living in the left field all her life and now signed to Domino Records, we talked about growing up in a global rock and roll household and the beauty of beats and everything in between. Where do we start with Georgia? Because I've known you since... <laughs> what age were you when I first met you? Like five or six or something? Six. I think I was six. Yeah, yeah. Is that when I would have shot that footage of you and my daughter lip-syncing to uh, <laughs> Britney Spears? Yeah. I'm going to blackmail you no. with that when you get more famous. When you get more famous, I'll blackmail you with that. You took us to see Britney Spears. Me and Amber definitely Don't tell went. people that. I'll lose my call. Hey, yeah. Britney Spears is cool. Britney she was Spears? then. No, no, no. She's still cool. She works yeah. with all the best people. Yeah. Britney Spears is still cool. Oops, I did it again. Oops, I <laughs> did it again. Just for the record, for these people listening to this yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah. they ought to know that Georgia is actually my next door neighbour. Yeah. Quite literally. In the, is that the left field? In the left field. field. <laughs> and, um, That's ironic. Ironic. And her father, Neil Barnes, half of left field. So, I mean, yeah. it's fair to say you've grown up in the middle of all this shit. I mean, yeah, a very different completely. experience to others trying to get in, right? Yeah, completely. I think when I realised that I was living next door to you... <laughs> you wanted to move. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then had my dad build this studio at the end of the garden, you know, I realised, actually, this is it. I'm, I've got it all here, you know. When did you think music? When did you think that's for me too? Uh, very, very early on. Uh, it was too young for me to actually remember right. when I wanted to be in music. You know, I, I the, the the real thing that sealed the deal was obviously going to see one of, one of my dad's concerts and I think it was Tea in the Park. It was in, you know, the Scottish Festival in like nine or something. I remember being side of stage, Ian Brown standing beside me, kissing my hand, lift me up and took me on stage. I just remember seeing all these people, thousands of people in this tent, just losing their minds to this music. I stood up there and I was like, I want to do this. <laughs> you know, it was it was like it was a defined moment where I was just like, this looks fun. This is the life for me. This looks fun. This is a bit of a trip. I want to do this. <laughs> and I remember, as we're sitting here talking, I'm thinking, okay, because you must have gone out on a lot of the tours with Leftfield back in the day. Yeah, yeah, no, I did. So I, were... I did. I was a kind of. At one point, I was a bit of a mo- mascot. You know, they they dress me up in all the Leftfield merch, and I'd have my little pigtails, and I'd be constantly asking the crew, "Can I get on stage? Can I get on stage?" I remember Glastonbury. I was really upset that they didn't take me on but my mum mum was just like gee you know stay back I think I went down with the Gleffield in the bus once yeah you did that was Glastonbury we all went together oh yeah can't talk too much about that that was pretty (laughs) wild that was in the wild days well that was also the other thing that I was exposed to right because we all know the sort of surrounding culture around dance music so you know she's talking about drugs first (laughs) so you know I was also exposed to quite a lot of you know heavy things as a kid as well well, the, the, the Watching, not partaking, we got to say. Yeah, no, an eight-year-old partaking yeah. in... Uh, yeah, you wouldn't would have be, made it I to I wouldn't here. have made it now. It was eye-opening, you know. I think when I was that young, I thought, this is just the standard, right? You're, you must have thought it was normal. This is normal, yeah. just to go out on stage to 20,000 people. This is normal. But since doing this and being in this process of, of writing my own music and putting it out, it's very different. Well, the climate's it's totally very changed. Different. Yeah, well... Because I, I guess you, you sort know, of came of age just as that shift was happening yeah. between the analogue and the digital. The scene that I eventually got in in London, you know, they were all MySpace artists. Quest, who I used to play drums for, and Jai Paul, and all the early 
really kind of Young Turks people, Mikachu and all these bands that now are, are really influential Did artists. Did you play with all of those guys? Yeah, I yeah. I needed for Quest. And didn't yeah. you play for Kate Tempest? I played with Kate four years ago for Everybody Down, her second album. Right. And that was amazing. But these are all artists that made their names through MySpace. And the digital age. And the you know, digital part of this age. New, they, the new way. Exactly. You know, so did you realise things are changing from what from no, how your dad did it to... Even five, six years ago, I didn't realise it. I, I think I was like, I'll just put my record out and a day later I'll be an overnight success. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I mean, you're like skipping totally, one thing. One thing totally different. I was totally impressed with you about was this, is that through, through all your childhood, certainly when you got like, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, yeah. I never remember you going out and playing. I always All I could yeah. do was a bloody drums next to my house. <laughs> And then you were in the studio, but you've, yeah. you've put in the time like I've never seen. And I ain't just sucking right. up to you. I mean, no, you no, really yeah, put yeah. in the time. Yeah. And I think it obviously yeah. shows in what yeah. you've created. You know what I mean? I think it was a drive from my dad as well and my mum to be self-sufficient, right? So in order to do... And your dad's do, a workaholic, yeah, yeah, to do that, I had to really just sit in my bedroom. I remember getting this like four-track recorder. I was probably like 12. Yeah. And I remember setting it up going, right, how do I record this instrument onto that tape? And it was that teachings and that development that laid the foundation for me going into the studio and just being like, I can know how to create what I hear up in my head and it's true you have to put work in you have to put the definitely. Oh, in. No, yeah, yeah. definitely I mean you hear Michael Jackson and all that lot they're geniuses yeah. you know but I knew that I had to really work at this and, and also it is different for girls in the studio and my dad would always say that you want to know your shit yeah, you, you want to go so, into yeah. these studios and not rely on other people you want to be the ones telling, telling people them. what to do or what you want to do so in order to do that I think now looking back on it I did have to put quite a lot of work into it. Funny you mentioned girls in the studio, because I'm from my perspective, it looks like there's been a massive shift. Yeah. In fact, I was reading a little article about you a while ago, and in the yeah. article it said something like, in the 21st century, it's not about four-piece rock band anymore, mm. it's about single females. Mm. And I realised there was a proliferation of a mm. single fierce females, whether it be yeah. PJ Harvey or Harvey or Kate Tempest. Mm. And um, I'm guessing that things have changed. Mm. Attitudes to women have changed in the studio. Because these are all strong women that know their shit. They're not, mm. They haven't got 20 producers or 50 mm. writers writing their songs. Mm. I mean, surely it's mm. changed now. Very rarely do you see a female engineer. But I'm talking about these people in the studio working on the technology. Yeah, 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 working. Yeah. Kate Tempest and, and the artists are different, right? And there, I think, there's been such a shift. Yeah, there's <clears throat> been a massive shift. But Bjork was talking about it in the 90s, you know? She was like... You know, stop talking about girls in this real big way. You know, they're just the, doing their shit. The they're doing that. And now it has become accepted. But in the main recording studios, it is still very heavily male-dominated. And I think it's something to do with the education Education, in, in, women in this not country. being told that they can do that exactly. shit. You know, it's like a male, male, yeah. Exactly. This is a man's job. This well, it is works in the favour of the men. <laughs> men have to keep, keep the mystique and the magic, you know. No, oh, no, girls, you can't touch yeah, that button. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's changing. Yeah. There, there is a change. Whether we'll see it in, in my generation, I don't know. But all you have to see, right, your kids, you know, are, are, are on iPads. Mm. They know what technology, to do on yeah, iPads. It's not taboo. They, they know yeah. more about technology. Technology doesn't than, belong to men anymore. Exactly. They know more about technology than any of us do, you mm. know, because they're on, they're showing you, oh, you can do this photograph like this, you can record that yeah. thing like that yeah. all Dad, on an this iPad. is how you use your phone. Exactly. <laughs> I think we'll see a massive change in it, but there are fantastic female 
female producers in America and in the UK and in Europe. It's going to happen. And, so, you know, so it's the, on the basically way. the females have taken the stage and now they've got to take the production part of it. There's this, this amazing producer out in America. She's called Wonder Girl. And she's behind a lot of ASAP Rocky and ASAP Ferg. And she does a lot with Future. She's a hip-hop producer. What's her name? Wonder Girl. Wonder Girl. And she is a fantastic example of a woman who has just worked in the studio from a very early age, working on her beats, and is now recognised as one of the hip-hop producers of our day. So, like, that's inspiring. That's really inspiring. And which yeah. of the female artists that are out there kind of turn you on? I think at the moment I'm really interested in more of, like, the techno side of things. So I've been listening to a lot of Jessie Lanza... All my friends from London, so Mika, I mean, she is another example of um, just a fantastic musician, composer, um, electronic beat. Across the board. Across the board. And she's a dear friend of mine and she constantly inspires me every day. I'm in the studio and I think, what would Mika do? Just like I put her in the same category as Missy Elliott, you know, what would Missy do? And, you know, there's an example as well, someone who meant so much to me from such an early age because you were seeing a woman who literally grew up in the studio cleaning the toilets with Timberland in the studio to then working on the downtime in the studio, working on beats, creating like a hundred beats and then oh Aaliyah walks through the studio or someone walks yeah. through the studio and they're like yo that sounds good that sounds good let's put it on that and that's how she came to the forefront but um I tell you what I want to ask you what did you get from your father leftism was a seminal piece of electronic music and I think there is no denying that being around that landscape of music, being around the equipment they used, being around the general DIY do-it-yourself in your in the flat, do-it-yourself in this little studio, it had a complete effect on me. In, in, you're, in, you're missing one thing I haven't heard you say yet, I'm expecting you to say What's that? Bass. 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 That's what so I remember about your father. Okay, yeah. So my dad was the biggest reggae and dub fan I think I've ever come into contact with. And I remember from a very, very early age, again, you asked me from, you know, when did you want to be a musician? It was as early as that, that just like reggae and dub just being in the flat constantly, constantly. And he'd even say to me, even if we got a new piece of audio equipment, he'd try Yabby You on it, you to know, test to out test the out the bass. Yeah. Just yeah, like the sound system. Just like a sound system. So, you know, that is just entrenched in me. That essence of the bass, the drums, bass. Bass? Beats. Beats. And you know what I get from it as well? Yeah. is the space, yeah. which is the dub thing. Exactly. You know, the space. Where you My, can kind of put yourself yeah. in the mix. It's yeah, not like this dominating yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. There's yeah. space for you to be in it. My dad always used to say to me, gee, you know, you, 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 do you need this? Do you need that? And I'd say to him, well, actually, I don't know. Take it out. The most important thing is the space and the structure. And that was something that in my first album, I couldn't quite comprehend yet because I was just experimenting. So I was just wanting to find, your find these textures and these sounds that created this mad world. But now I'm going back to that space, 
bass and, and beats. beats. <laughs> I remember seeing them play at Brixton Academy. Yeah, yeah. And they made the fucking ceiling start no, to collapse. No, I know. I was there. The first gig that I played with Wayne Coyne and the Flaming Lips, it was at Brixton Academy. Didn't and I see that? Yeah, yeah, you oh, were no, there. And that started my new year. That you started 2017 and I was so depressed because of the you, Trump thing. I and know. that show and your performance, and obviously Flaming Lips, yeah. kick-started my 2017, man. Oh, Otherwise, the so dread sweet. would have been seriously depressed. I thought that was one of the best times I've ever seen the Flaming Lips as well. It was just a great atmosphere. But I remember before Wayne going on and I said, you know, I've got a story about Brixton. My dad played Brixton in the 90s and the bass was so heavy that the ceiling collapsed. And yep. he was like, no, fuck off. <laughs> and then he goes out, he goes out on stage, they play a couple of the songs, blah, 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 and then he goes, I've got a story to tell. And he tells this story of like, but then he's saying to the audience, we have to jump so hard that the ceiling collapsed. And it didn't happen, unfortunately. No, they've got to nah, leave that to nah. left field, Wayne, unfortunately. I mean, you, Wayne can take us to other places, but left field have got the base. Next album, Wayne. Yeah, next album, yeah. To what degree did punk inform what you did and your understanding of punk? What did, how did that inform what you do? Well, um, I think the whole... Because you would have met John, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. Gliding, right? Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, Leftfield did a track with John, and John was at my birth. I think he was at the hospital <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I'm surprised you came out. <laughs> there was some weird story. I think at the time of of, of me being born, they had just mixed um, the track that they did or something. Oh, open up. Open up. Open up. I think they had just finished it, or I don't know. There's some yeah. there's some story there where he was there. I mean, punk was played in my house constantly. My dad absolutely came from that ethic. I mean, the, the whole dance scene in, in the UK was born out of the punk scene. The whole DIY thing. The whole DIY thing, that kind of attitude of no one's going to stop us and, you know, we're breaking rules, we're breaking boundaries, we're, we're doing illegal shit, we're doing illegal raves, we're, we're putting on these nights, we're, we're starting culture. Yeah. We're going to define culture. I'm massively influenced by that. Completely, 100%. Because I tell you, I do get fed up of people looking back at this thing that they think is a dead thing that happened back then. Because oh, they miss the point about it being an no, attitude no. and a spirit. No, I think most musicians in, in this city, in London... They get it. They, most of my mates, they are just punks themselves. Yeah. I'm talking about the attitude. I'm not talking about the clothes. I'm talking about that, that you spirit. know, that spirit. Because people yeah. don't understand that, that spirit and attitude, yeah. it's got a legacy and a tradition Completely. and a heritage. And if you keep going on about that late 70s thing, yeah. it makes it a dead thing that happened back then. Yeah, As yeah, opposed completely. to a living thing that you can actually be, be part, part of. of. You know. I think it's so embedded in the musicians that I know because the musicians that I know are creative, open-minded people. They're not the people that are mass-produced in a studio and they're not the people whose aspirations moments. are to head to LA where the doors will suddenly flood open for my mainstream pop yeah. career. They're not those they people. They operate in a different world. They operate in a different world and that's why some of them do cross over. You know, the XX have crossed over. But, but they, they get on their terms. They did it on their terms, and that has come from a punk attitude. It's come from, this is our domain, and if you like it, then yeah. come in. If yeah. you don't, well, fuck yeah. you, I'm we not make gonna the music, care anyway. You sell the shit. Yeah, I think, I think that's just embedded in me, and it's embedded in a load of musicians that I know. So the other week, obviously, I got a chance to speak to Hattie Collins, who did this grime book, and is very much a grime expert. Yeah. And to me, grime's got a lot of punk attitude and spirit. Definitely. I mean, 
I'm guessing you sort of came out of that world as well, because that's the, that was the lick of the last what? Oh shit! It's been going yeah. on for like 15 years now. To what degree has so, grime informed uh, you? If you're a Londoner, you just know about grime. You know, you you knew about Channel U. You knew about all the the, pri the pirate radio stations that were playing grime. All the kids being a Londoner, grime makes me proud because that is our hip-hop, that is yeah. our music. It's a genuine that British product. That is a genuine mm. British product. Probably one of the most genuine that's been since punk, because it is so born out of British London. experience, yeah. Well, and particularly London. a London culture and a London vibe. I mean, I am not a grime artist at all, nowhere near it, but I am an appreciator of the beats, of the way that they just get in their bedroom, they put on a garage tune, they slow it down, they speed it up and then they MC over it. Who's not going to be influenced by that? Yeah. But I think it's the only know. original thing that's come out of the UK in the 21st century. Yeah, of course it Literally. is. Literally. Yeah, of course it is. And that's why it's making waves. I mean, we've now got the Americans coming over here being like, what's this? Yeah, let's have what's, some of this. What's, yeah. What is this music? What is that? You know, I would always identify myself as a Londoner and as someone who is of an electronic... Bass and beats background. Bass and beats background. I would always, always say that grime has influenced me and grime is part of me because that is that is who I am. Totally I was who I am. Jokingly telling Hattie the other week that the only thing that put me off was two things. I couldn't take men shouting at me all day long. Yeah. And there was no bloody women. That's when it started. I mean, now things have changed. I mean, the guys are being a bit more open, a bit more honest. There's different influences coming in. They're being yeah. a bit emotional. I mean, look at, yeah. you know, something like Storms. Well, I think that's you know. true. I think there is something to be said about the lack of girl MCs, but they are out there. Yeah, they no, are no, out. no, they're coming. They're but when it started. Out there. Yeah, no, no, no. These pure Mundem. Yeah, yeah, well, this is it. Yeah, but that's their release. Yeah. That was all right to us girls, you know, and a lot of them are sexy and a lot of them got good style. And the first time I saw Skepta was back in like 2006 or something like that, I was 16. It was just in this like Croydon club. This guy is gorgeous. This guy has got a voice. And like, there are basically a club of girls just here to see Skepta. <laughs> like, it's sometimes music's just like that. Just like how most of, you know, hip hop has kind of like taken quite a long time, time for, for, yeah. for girls to make their waves in hip hop. But you know, they are out there. It's just one of those music I mean, it's really been interesting. Men, you know, it's been interesting to see it grow and develop over, what is it, like I said, I think it's at least 15 years. Yeah, it's like, now it's getting the platform. Now it's getting the platform it's deserved. And that's amazing. Everyone I know has just been over the moon about how finally yeah. these guys are being recognised. put Britain back on the map, Completely. Really. A couple of months ago, I was working with this guy called Rags Original, and he's behind Skepta's shutdown beat. He does all the production for Skepta. And Rags is a genius. These guys are incredible at what they do on the computer because it's computer yeah, yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. And I was learning of Rags. He uses Fruity Loop. It's a program which you can download it for free and it works with loops. So it's very easy to make a beat and to make a song. Really easy. You can do it in like a couple hours. And it was just so interesting to see how they did it, you know? And I was like, Rags, you're a bit like, you're a bit of a genius. You just reminded me of something. Who is it? I think Andy Weatherall said it to me. What's the good thing about technology? Everyone can make music. Yeah. What's the bad thing about technology? Everyone, Everyone can, can make, make music. music. Yeah. <laughs> Respect Andy. Yeah. We know that now, right? We know how much music is out there, right? 
Good point. How difficult is it in the 21st century for you to break through now? I mean, what different techniques are you having to employ? I can only speak from my own personal experience, but for me, it was about finding that one person who encourages you, who is perhaps in connections with a few record labels in your area, but it is finding that one person who believes in you and then pushes you to play your music to people. That is the biggest hurdle. There are guys and girls out there who don't play their music to anyone, and that's the biggest mistake. You just gotta play your music to people. Obvious question, who was that one person? For a time, it was definitely Cherish and Katie. So Cherish Kaya ran Kaya Kaya Records, and Katie runs it with her, Katie Partridge. Cherish was the one who bugged me for ages about playing my music, and Katie heard the music, and if it wasn't for those two, I don't think I would be here right now. I don't think I would have got my record deal. They invested a lot of time in me and encouraged me. And I do think it is about that. There is an element of building bridges with people, building connections and allowing them to take a little bit of control of you and say, you know, Georgia, if we released it in this format, we could then reach out to those labels. You should then play live and we should invite all those people down. And it is about connections and it's about forcing yourself in an uncomfortable position, you know? Coming I out think of your bedroom and it, looking I've, people in the I eyes. I think that's probably what's changed with, with how it was in the past because there aren't as many live venues around London now but it's so focused now on the internet. And, is that a good thing? I don't see it as a bad thing or a good thing. Just it's, is. It's, it just is and if it's ways in which artists can be discovered and artists can build relationships with A&Rs or whoever then it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. How did you get to Domino? Just before I released my EP I met my manager Jeanette Lee and she was another person who heard the music and was just like, okay, let's do this. Let's, cool. let's just do this. And it was her idea to put on a three-week residency at this little club called The Waiting Rooms in Stoke Newington. You yeah, were there. Yeah, yeah, you were there. there. You were definitely there, I remember. And Amber came, yeah. a lot of people came down, but she said to me, she was like, right, let's just invite a load of labels down. Let's see what happens. Something may not come of it, Georgia. Something may not happen, but that doesn't mean that this isn't going to happen. You just got to be patient. And I, at the time, was ready. I was ready to get the live band together. I was ready to put myself in that arena now, you know, take myself out of the studio and put myself in the live ar arena. So we played these shows and I was so scared and there were labels from all different backgrounds. We had the majors, we had the independents. And that would have been because of what, the vibe of, of your and Jeanette. Jeanette just was, you know, obviously so well connected and, and was proud, was proud to, to see this happening. And on the third gig, a friend of mine called Tom Cater, who I'd met, who was working at Domino Publishing at the time, but he's also uh, been involved with James Blake's career, worked with James Blake's manager, Dan Fote, and was just a very well-connected guy and totally inspired by new music. He wants to find the new artist. He rung Lawrence Bell from Domino. I think the story is he he called him up and said, you've got to get down to this last show of this girl. She's really whatever. She's interesting. Come down. Lawrence was in LA. Lawrence got a flight from LA to London 
came down to the last show, um, I obviously had no idea what was going on. And about three days after he came to the studio, I played him the entirety of the album. And I said to him, I just want a label and a home. I want to develop as an artist and I want to be around the right people to allow that to happen. And then the day later, I got the call from Jeanette and they were just like, they've offered you a deal. So it was all very quick. It happened with a blink of an eye and I was over the moon and I think Domino's just always been a label that I've loved. It's I mean, a very cool, it's, a, it's, a, very it's cool. a great label and Lawrence is the most genuine, nicest guy I've ever met in music and he believes in his artists. And, and he, he believes, believes in music, in he's music. passionate. Yeah. He's passionate, his track yeah. record of the artists that are on the label that have got so big and they don't want to leave Domino. Arctic Monkeys probably could have gone anywhere. Yeah, that's right. But they, they remained with Domino. Same with Franz Ferdinand, same with probably Dev, Blood Orange, you know? And for me, that was a real sign of a label that, that really believes in their artists and believes... Uh, developing them and giving them a home. Tell us about America and the whole flaming lips thing, because I'm jealous. Uh, oh, you know what we haven't mentioned? Yeah. The enigma that is yeah. H. I know. We've got to talk about H, because okay. we've been talking about, like, okay. Georgia. For the, for the most part, Georgia solo artist on drums, vocals, on stage, dominates. But, yeah. somewhat understated, is... H. Tell us about H. So H is someone who I've known for quite a few years now and she's an example of a girl who did a production engineering course and started working for a audio company and is someone who just got completely stuck in with helping artists supply all the, all the audio equipment for their studios. So she's completely Techie. a genius when it comes to technology and she knows what she's doing. I met her four years ago when I asked her, I said, H, will you play in my band? Uh, I'm starting up this live band and will you help me? And she was like, yeah, yeah, of course. And she had done some like, she'd done some um, session playing before and me and her just got on. There was an immediate friendship there and a connection. And then through rehearsing together, I just got a glimpse at how incredible she is at music. She has perfect pitch. She can work out some of the most complex chords structures she like Stephen Drozd from Flaming Lips said she is a bit of a musical genius and we've been on the road now for four years and the live shows now just developed basically me and her and I think it's just an explosion of female force and I could not do it without H explosion of female <laughs> force damn <laughs> Right, boys, watch out. And H also, she's playing for Kate Tempest. She's she, recently, she's been playing with Katie Tunstall. She's just doing fantastically. And for me to see that and to see her building confidence for these four years, it's been a real like pleasure to see. And she's she, Japanese, right? She's Japanese. She's but she's a Croydon girl. She, yeah, she's a Londoner, you know. Oh, really? and, uh, yeah, 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 totally. H is a yeah. babe, and anyone who comes into contact with her instantly falls in love. I with mean, her. I only met her a couple times at the 
vibe is great. Yeah. The vibe is really good. I've only so, met like three times. So we basically did this show at this festival called Wilderness last year. And we were on the main stage. We were sharing the stage with the Flaming Lips. The Flaming Lips were headlining this festival. And we're driving there and we're like, oh man, we get to see the Flaming Lips. Like, oh God, this is going to be so incredible. And so we arrive, we set up, we play at like three o'clock or something. There's a good crowd, you know, but we're a bit like, we're playing, we're playing, we're going through the motions. And I looked side of stage and no joke, Wayne Coyne was standing side of stage losing his shit. He was like, put hands up in the air, like moshing his head and just like, I had to stop. So I stopped, I said, H, H, stop, stop. And I said to the audience, I was like, I'm sorry, I have to, I have to stop a minute because I've got Wayne Coyne side of stage losing his shit to my music. This is a moment for me right now because I cannot tell you how much I love this guy. And he hated it. He suddenly went a bit like, <laughs> didn't want to be yeah, seen <laughs> but he was like going like right on and then suddenly the whole live show got a new lease of life and people were loving it and it was incredible and we played this amazing show so after we finish I gotta find Wayne I gotta find Wayne and he's standing there and I just give him a massive hug and it's just like this instant connection we were sharing similar experiences performing we were sharing music taste we were sharing what it means to be a performer and how are you and what you are blah 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 it was just like an instant explosion of friendship I guess and then I said to him oh, I want to come on tour with you and he was like I'm going to make it happen and then then three weeks later we get this email from Scott the manager just being like we want Georgia to come on tour with the Flame Ellipse they're doing a bunch of shows in Europe so it was crazy it was crazy so next thing I know we're at Brixton Academy I'm telling Wayne that story about my dad playing Boots in the Academy and I get up on stage, I'm sharing the stage with the Flaming Lips. I couldn't quite believe it, actually. Yeah. And he gave me a shout-out, someone yeah. told me. I'm yeah. glad he missed it. Yeah, he gave me a shout-out. Oh, I was so he touched. I mean, like I said, made my year, man. Do you know he told me that um, a month ago they went to see Coldplay in Tulsa and Chris Martin knew that Wayne was at the show. I think they've been friends for quite a long time. But Wayne said he dedicated the whole show to Wayne Coyne. Yeah. I think his influence on performers, and I think that goes to show with Miley Cyrus, it's, it, it's infectious. His attitude is and infectious his energy, yeah. and, and his energy and just his badass of like, who the fuck cares? Just fucking do, do it. Just do it. Just do it. If that makes you happy, if that's what you want to do, you do it. And you don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And if people tell you otherwise, ignore them and do it yourself. And that is infectious. So we all went and we stayed on his tour bus. They invited us in on the tour bus. So it was me, H, and a couple of other people. And suddenly H and Stephen got on really well because they're musical geniuses, right? So they just instantly right. <laughs> are talking about chord progressions and various scales and modes. We play this show in Stockholm where there's this piano backstage and Stephen and H get on the piano and they're like playing all this classical stuff and I think it was just for all of us it was just the most inspiring tour to have ever been on. You know what I get the feeling that every musician should bump into Wayne Coyne. Yeah I think they should. So how does that end up with you being in his house in Oklahoma? Right so then after the tour we're just we become super close friends and we're just chatting constantly via text and, and I just said to him I've got this piece of music can you sing on it can, can we can we write something he's like yeah yeah send it over so then we started up this collaboration sort of email thing where we were sending tracks over and I was singing on them he was sending them back and then it got to a point about three weeks ago where I was like oh can I just come over to Oklahoma <laughs> because all this toing and throwing oh, yeah. is great but 
literally, look somebody in the eyes. I just want to be in the studio with you and we can do this. And he was like, okay, let me look up some dates. And then we looked up some dates. And then literally about four days before any of the trip becomes a reality, he says, come to Oklahoma. And then basically we just organised the trip and I went over there. So am I hearing you right? Am I going to be looking forward to some Georgia Wayne collaboration? Yeah, we don't know what the actual outcome's going to be, but it was a total education in creative freedom in the studio, you know? It's interesting you say creative freedom because that's what struck me about Wayne is that he does his own thing and he doesn't really consider what's in demand or what the mainstream wants. Mm. I mean, after he did that, that was it? Mm. Do you realise Yashimi yeah. does her own? Yeah. He does something that's so left field, even I didn't get yeah. it. I mean, I only get half of what yeah. he does. Yeah. But what yeah. I do get, I fucking love. And the weird yeah. stuff, I just love the fact that he does that. Yeah. Could he, he could so easily yeah. do catchy pop songs well, and all the rest it. of it. You've just said it right there. That's what he would say to me. You know, it's like... It was too easy. You can so... Exactly. Yeah. You, you, you've become Mr. Wayne Coyne, Don. That's exactly what he said to me. It's exactly what he said. You know, it's easy to do the same formula over and over again. But that's not fun. Yeah. That's not fun for the audience, not fun for me. I want to do stuff that's wacky and, and, and gets people thinking and, and is good for me and is part of my thing. And it's, it's all about fun. It's about fun as well. I was just well. thinking, Wayne's got some big musical balls. Yeah. And they're clear, and he dances in them. <laughs> You've seen that shit, right? Yeah, when well, he does that course. stuff. Unreal. Unbelievable. So the third day that we're there, you know, he sets up another big, clear musical ball in the garden, and he sets up all these balloons, and we're having fun, and it's his and it's Katie, his girlfriend's birthday, and, oh, man, it was such a trip. It was like, it was seeing someone who's created a world of their own, a world of creativity and a world where anything is possible. And okay, sometimes stuff like that can be unrealistic, but it felt okay in Wayne's world. And I don't know why. I think he's an enabler of creativity and he's an, he's he wants to be surrounded by the people who can do. He doesn't want to be surrounded by the people who can't do. Or aren't you know? brave enough to do. Or aren't brave enough to do. Or aren't really fussed. He doesn't want to be around people like that. He wants to be around just people who are just like... Real. Exactly. Uh. Exactly. So for me, it was just... I, I had to pinch myself and be a bit like... Okay, forget my forget my London attitude, and forget forget you know forget my formula formulas of, of ways of doing things, and, and and just enter his world for a bit because this might open a few avenues for me. That totally happened, you know. He got me to sing like Robert Plant. Damn. <laughs> he said your voice, you know, open it up, go for it, and I've suddenly reached a note in the studio that I've never reached before, you know, and and a way of singing that I didn't know was possible with my voice, and that's incredible. I couldn't have done that without him yeah or in my own studio and that's where also that's why collaborating is so important on a level you know you can just do it yourself you can just be your own person in the studio but I think it's very important to work with other artists to see what you can provide or what you can do and and what what you can learn from them you know and vice versa no, damn I wish I was there God yeah so, okay, I, I've got an odd question for you. Ultimately, what is the purpose of music? The purpose of music for me is to provide a sense of otherworldliness 
for people who want to escape into a kind of other creative world and find some kind of influence that they can take into their lives. The purpose of, of my music is just to get whoever listening to feel like I can stick on a Georgia record and just listen to that for two hours in my day and feel okay, cool, I'm ready to work on something or I'm ready, I'm ready to go here, I'm ready to do that. That's all that I want. And that's M all the Music to kind of help you move forward. Yeah. So I guess you'd be described as a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, what I know you for is drums. Oh, uh, yeah. Why did you pick up the sticks? It wasn't a question of, of why. It just happened from a very early age. In fact, it was Paul from Leftfield, because he was the drummer in Leftfield. I think I was around eight. The story is he put me behind his drum kit and I could just do it. I just literally knew how to coordinate my hands. Don't ask me how. I have no idea. I think it was just because if you're born with rhythm, you can notice it in kids when they really are like thinking about pulses and rhythms. And I think that was just what I I was like. And I just very naturally played the drums. And then it was something that my dad picked up on and my mum. And I got a kit very early on. Great which you for would you, remember. terrible for your neighbours. <laughs> I got a ride. But then did you, did you start exploring other drummers? So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're, you're beginning to play the drum kit. You're At first, you're just like fucking hitting the things and seeing what 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 textures and what sounds you can actually make from them. And then suddenly your brain suddenly goes, well, hang on a minute, I, I want to listen to Satisfaction by Rolling Stones. Who's playing drums on that? Oh, yeah. yeah. So suddenly you're listening to Charlie Watts and, 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 of course, when I was like 13, we had the internet. So suddenly we could actually look up on the internet a YouTube clip of Charlie Watts playing drums. And suddenly you're like... Well, cool, I'm going to learn how to play in Charlie Watts style. Then, really, I started getting into jazz drumming. And so Elvin Jones, he was a massive influence for me because he was just like a machine. He never stopped playing the drums. I was always really influenced by seeing this clip of him playing at the Newport Jazz Festival with Miles Davis. And the camera focuses on Elvin Jones and he's playing this, like, incredibly fast jazz beat. And he's just smoking. There's, like smoke coming from his head and I was just like whoa and he's playing so fast and then of course you know with this whole thing of connecting dots I'm like well who else was influenced by Elvin Jones well you know Jackie Leibovitz from Cannes so then I started listening to Cannes records and just being like this is great because this sounds like a drum machine loop you know when Jackie's playing the drums he's just like for like hours and hours while the music is just taking on this whole other lease of life. And then it was like, I'm a girl. Like, these are all guys playing drums. <laughs> who who were the girl drummers? And then, of mm. course, you get to Karen Carpenter and you're like, well, there you go. And so when I saw Karen Carpenter play the drums, I was just like, well, that seals the deal. I'm going to be a female drummer. And then Sheila E from Prince, who just had this fabulous, sexy appeal and like f 
knew how to play Latin music and then I listened to all the Latin drummers and of course Latin is a major style on the drums and then I got to David Bowie well who's playing on David Bowie records particularly like Let's Dance and then it's Omar Hakim and Omar Hakim is the greatest R&B funk jazz drummer and so it's just like you know discovering music I just discovered drummers what about something like Tony Allen he pop up in your oh radar? Tony Allen yeah I mean so I went to a, a university called SOAS and I studied ethnomusicology and one of my areas was uh, Nigeria and I was really interested in learning about the whole Fela Kuti scene and what was going on in Nigeria politically and, and, and how Fela was just like this rebel force that was trying to with a lot of wives with a lot of wives <laughs> and then you know you get to Tony Allen you get to the Afrobeat and then also you get to Ginger Baker because Ginger Baker was in Africa in the 70s uh, early 60s uh, late 60s African drummers yeah he suddenly was like the first white musician to even go into Fela Kuti's compound because he was mad right as well absolutely kind of I'll tell you who I think is a very underrated drummer probably because he played for the police Stuart Copeland oh no Stuart Copeland you ever check out his show oh my gosh it's like how do you do that incredible I mean in a message of a bottle where he's like because it's also quite reggae it's yeah, also yeah, oh, yeah, quite yeah, reggae. Yeah, yeah. He's got reggae jazzy you know, kind of style to his thing. Yeah. Actually, this came from my dad as well. You know, you can be a great drummer, but if you don't find your bass player, you haven't got the rhythm section sorted. So he always put a heavy influence on listening to, like, Sly and Robbie because they were a bass and drum combination that was incredible and on all the classic reggae right. records that we know. So then I got really interested in like looking at the relationship between the bass and the drums and Radiohead also have that. You know, when you look at the drummer and the, the bass player is just standing right close to the drummer, they are like a they unit. Become they, they become one. They become one. They're same with Big Audio Dynamite, exactly. I mean, Leo and Greg. They're like, yeah. I mean, you know. Wobble and um, the pill drummer, you know, they they were a great combination. Bruce. Bruce. Yeah, incredible and drummer. In fact, and... Bruce Smith, yeah, incredible and, drummer. Yeah, and in the slits. Played for the pop group. Yeah, that's right, and the and slits. And he played for the slits, that's yeah. right. And, and Budgie. Yeah, but Budgie. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. then, and then you're, you're getting into that area of like, well, units within the band and... I have to mention Questlove as well because the way he plays is so hard. And then I got really influenced by all the American session drummers. So I was listening to Chris Dave. I was listening to Aaron Spears, who plays for Usher. And then I was, you know, well, where are the females in this? You have Cora Coleman-Dunham. She's an incredible session player. She played for Beyonce, but also she played with Prince for a bit. I mean, Prince was an admirer of female no drummers. drummers yeah. Kim, Kim Thompson, she's a great drummer. I've never heard any of these. Yeah, people. yeah. Well, these, you know, because, you know, you have to. You know, most drummers really know their stuff about all drummers because also it's a competitive instrument. It, sometimes it becomes an instrument where you show off your chops. It's like a yeah. big thing. You Mind have you, a I chop I always off. hated the drum solo in them. When they, yeah. like, I know a drum solo. Fuck it. <laughs> Well, that's your punk. That's the punk oh, attitude man. coming out. No, before punk, I hated... In fact, I hated all the solos. When they had yeah. keyboard solo and guitar, I fucking hated... Yeah. God, no, that was way before that. It became yeah. much abused. I mean, if it's yeah. 30 seconds, enough. Yeah. And then also, you know, listening to Led Zeppelin, John Bonham, for me... Is where I really I I that that makes power. Me, yeah, exactly. Power. But then also one other thing, 
seeing the white stripes, seeing Meg and Jack. But there was a really interesting drum and guitar unit because Meg played the drums like a kid. It wasn't particularly spectacular. It wasn't particularly great and beautiful technically technically to watch, but she just played them like almost like she was playing them for the first time and it just worked with like this bluesy like guitar. When I saw the white stripes, I think it was also a moment where I was like, I want to do music. That was the greatest concert I've ever seen, The White Stripes. Where where was it? Hammersmith Apollo. It was a really early album before Elephant, I think. I think the first album I heard of the Distill Jesus, that's the one I... I was like, yeah, fucking hell. Yeah. I mean, for me, that's still one of my favourite albums, yeah. I have to admit. Yeah. i got to admit. Yeah, you know. it wasn't just because she was a female drummer. It was this atmosphere that she created with Jack. Well, a new way of making music as yeah. well. I mean, yeah, yeah. Come on. I mean, exactly. And, and, you know, just the sheer power of the music. It was incredible. But it's very hard for me to say these are the three top drummers I'm influenced by because I just love the drums and I love people's different approaches to playing the drums and I love the way people have their own style to fit that unit. So, you know, for me, it's kind of like, if it's good, I love it. (laughs) 